this tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome back to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today is episode 202. Today we have Coach Peter Murray. He's the head boys basketball coach at Dexter Regional High School in Dexter, Maine. He's also uh, an ad hoc board member of the National High School Basketball Coaches Association. Peter Murray is entering his 27th season as the head basketball coach and 39th year overall at Dexter Regional High School. Peter earned his BA in education from the University of Maine at Farmington and his master's degree in school administration from the University of Maine at Orono. During his time at Dexter, he has served as an assistant principal, athletic director, and is currently teaching English as well as serving as advisor for the National Honor Society. In addition to coaching basketball, he has also coached soccer and tennis, each over 25 years. In 1983, Peter started the girls' soccer program at Dexter Regional High School and served as its first coach. After 15 years with the girls' program, he switched over to the boys' program, where he spent the next 11 years before stepping down in 2014. The spring of 2021 will mark Peter's 30th year as coach of both the girls and boys tennis teams at Dexter. He also currently serves on the board of directors of the Maine Basketball Hall of Fame. In addition, he's a member of the Maine Principals Association Basketball Commission. Peter has served on the executive board of the Maine Association of Basketball Coaches for the past 18 years, the last 15 as president. Peter first attended the National High School Basketball Coaches Association meetings in 2009 is currently serving as an ad hoc member on the executive board. Coaches, you're going to really enjoy this podcast with uh, Coach Murray. He's going to offer kind of two perspectives. One, as an administrator of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, where he has to deal with so many different programs and coaches around the state. And we're going to talk about what are some of the um, what are some of the trends and needs today in our profession. And of course, he's going to talk about how did he build this program 
at Dexter Regional High School. Of course, uh, for those of you who do not know, uh, there's only been two coaches in the history of Dexter Regional High School, which is kind of amazing. Uh, he is one of them. So let's welcome to the podcast, Coach Peter Murray. Hey, Peter. Hey, how are you? Good, good. How are you, Coach? I'm good. It took me a minute to get in, but. <laughs> yeah, no problem at all. <clears throat> hey, I appreciate you taking the time out to uh, to speak with me. So, hope everything is going good in Maine there. Yeah, I think we're probably pretty much the same as a lot of other places. I mean, I guess we're a little better than others. But, uh, yeah, everybody's kind of just laying low and hanging home. I know, man. It's we're going through a lot of things out here in Georgia. I probably heard you probably heard in Georgia, but I know in the East Coast, there's um, you're going through a lot as well. Tell me about uh, first of all. Tell me about yourself and how you got started in the game, and how coaching kind of you kind of caught the bug with coaching and so forth. Talk a little bit about yourself. Well, I I mean, I grew up in a small town, East Millinocket, and northern Maine and uh, a, a, a sports rich community uh, so we you know we were busy playing sports all the time growing up so that just kind of instilled that love of sports uh, basketball being included um, I went to uh, the University of Maine at Farmington a teaching college uh, here up here in Maine and um, I got involved in uh, some courses uh, some coursework centered around sports and sports coaching uh, during my final year there, I was uh, student teaching at a nearby high school, and the varsity coach who was at that school at the time uh, approached me and said, you have any interest in getting involved with our high school program while you're here? And I said yes, and one thing led to another, and uh, I ended up uh, on his staff for that season, uh, which turned out to be the year two of back-to-back -back state championships up here in Maine. So, um that kind of that kind of got me going. I uh, hit that place at the right time. It just kind of got the fever going a little bit. Prior to that, I really hadn't given a lot of thought to coaching, you know, quite frankly. Uh, but after that experience with that team, um, I was I got bit by the bug. And uh, the following year, I ended up here where I am now at Dexter and Dexter Regional High School, and started coaching the minute I came through the door. And I've been coaching here ever since. So. 
that's kind of the short version of my story. <laughs> I love that. Um, I mean, not too many coaches now nowadays, Peter, stay at one school. I think the trend is almost like it's almost like and uh, high school and college kids are moving all over the place. I mean, it's so cool that you stayed in one spot. Why, why was that? Uh, just, uh, it, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, when I, when I uh, finished my degree and I was applying for jobs around the state of Maine and I actually interviewed that summer, probably, probably at 15 different schools from one end of the state to the other. And, uh, Dexter was the first school to offer me a job and I took it. And then I haven't really found a good reason to leave. Uh, <laughs> my wife uh, followed me one year later. We got married over the summer and she's a teacher here as well. Uh, we've raised two children in this town. Uh, they're both grown now and both teachers of the, of, on their own. Uh, so it's just one of those things where, uh, we just kind of landed here. We didn't really have any thoughts or expectations if this was it, or this is where we're going to stay, but it just kind of worked out that way. Uh, an interesting little side note is that the high school where I teach right now was built in 1968. And in the history of that school, there's only been two boys basketball coaches, uh, my predecessor and uh, myself. And uh, we overlap for about 11 years in the middle there. But uh, yeah, that's a pretty remarkable story up here in Maine anyway, that to have a school over 50 years old and only had two boys basketball coaches. So he stayed and so did I. Yeah, I did read. I was reading your story a little bit. And, you know, I really I, I, I do the podcast, Coach, really, because I love to learn about people and particularly coaches. I just have a, a fascination about coaches and what makes them tick. Uh, your story really inspired me. Um, I mean, only two coaches. Is that because of the community there? It sounds like you have a really, really solid community uh, in a mill town. Tell us a little bit about the community there. Well, I got to say the uh, the community I grew up in uh, in East Millinocket is a mill town. Uh, it's a paper company mill. Was there for many many years. Uh, and when I came here to Dexter, I mean Dexter was famous for Dexter Shoe Company. Um, mm -hmm. So sure. So it, it, I, you know the two communities were very very similar in their makeup. Uh, just hardworking people that put in a good a solid eight hour day and then really enjoyed their high school sports afterwards. Um, you know, it, the, the, this, this part of Maine, uh, the northern part of Maine particularly, is it's, it kind of has a Hoosiers kind of a feel to it, uh, you know, where a Friday night game in our town is that, that's the ticket. That's where everybody wants to be. And so we play we play in front of some pretty good crowds and uh, we have some uh, you know, unbelievable rivalries. And I think people people here really enjoy their sports. I think if you had asked people around Northern Maine, what they, you know, what do they know about Dexter, Maine? They would say that's a sports town. Uh, Cause uh, it doesn't matter what the sport is. We're pretty rabid around here. Yeah. I'm jealous, man. It sounds like a really cool town. You don't see that. I hate to say this coach. I talked to a lot of coaches. You don't see those type of communities anymore. I, I, I really, I don't know why, but why is, why is your community just kind of stayed that way for, for so many years, man, it must be just, you just have great people there and people really stick together. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. I mean, I, my father-in-law was a, a basketball coach for 30 years in the Southern part of the state of Maine. And uh, towards the end of his career, uh, you know, he, he would, he would be lucky to have grandparents and parents at games watching their teams play. 
Uh, I think part of it is just simply that uh, there's, there's more things, more things offered for people to do, more things for kids to do. Um, you know, we, you know, we have some of those same struggles, but we've been uh, fortunate enough. I mean, the community is just, I would, you know, I don't know that it could be any more supportive than what it is. Uh, when we need something, we have it. It's the same thing goes for the school. I mean, um, the principal that I work for right now was a, is a former student of mine. Uh, so he's come back <laughs> home and he's sure. now running the school. Our athletic director is a former coach. Uh, so we have sports people all around the school and positions of leadership. And they know the value of sports and they, they really they see the benefits of it. I think parents in the community see that as well. Uh, and a lot of these kids are out and about in the community. They're working at our local stores and restaurants. And so they see the quality of kids that come through the sports program. So I think everybody just is in agreement that it's, uh, it's such a, a huge character builder for kids. And it will help them throughout the rest of their life by playing sports. So they place a great value on it. Yeah, that's so true, Coach. Um, coach, talk about like shaping you. Who shaped your philosophy? Because I and I, tell me if I I said the coach's name wrong. The, the gentleman before you, uh, I think it's is it Gwiski or or Jiski? It's it's pronounced Gursky. Gursky. Okay. R sound there, even though there's no R in the name. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I want to make sure I have that right. And uh, Coach Marks and uh, Obermeyer, those three had a big impact on shaping your philosophy. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, you know, interesting all, th- you know, interestingly, all three of those uh, gentlemen have been uh, inducted into the main basketball hall of fame. Uh, that's a new hall of fame that we've established up here, probably five years old now. Um, so there are some of the early uh, entries into that. Uh, so it tells you a little something about the quality of those people and what they kind of careers they had. But uh you know, Ron Marks was the high school coach where I went to high school and, you know, just a, you know, just a great motivator and a, and a you know, hard-nosed guy, tough guy to play for. But, boy, he, he got the most out of his players. Uh, I had a chance to see and work with my father-in-law, uh, Bill Obermeyer. Uh, he's another great coach. He had a great career, uh, high school career, college career as a player himself. And then uh, he, he landed in Kennebunk, Maine, and, <clears throat> uh, much like me, spent his entire career coaching at one school uh, and had a very successful coaching career as well. Uh, and when I came here to Dexter, I mean, Ed Gersky is somewhat of a legendary legendary figure in this area, uh, still is to this day. And, you know, he was somebody that kind of took me under his wing and mentored me. And like I say, we overlapped. I worked with him for 11 years before he finally retired and I took over the program. So interestingly, all three of those coaches are hall of famers but all three of them did it a little bit differently so i had a chance to see that there is, there isn't necessarily one right way or wrong way to do it uh what what i had to find over my career was what's the right way for me to do it uh, so i had great influences by those people and i'm very thankful for that yeah i'm going to ask you a little bit later about you know, what is your philosophy at the school and i had a chance to kind of study up and see what you guys are doing out there but talk about your main basketball coaches association and really more the national you're, you're on the executive board of the national high school basketball coaches association out here in Georgia. We just started the Georgia basketball coaches association really about a month ago. So you can really give us uh, input into what you guys are doing and what you're trying to do for coaches, because we really need 
basketball coaches associations in every state don't. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the, uh, the, the National High School Basketball Coaches Association was born out of, out of frustration with the uh, dwindling role of the high school coach in the recruiting process. Uh, sure. With the advent of AAU and other, you know, pay-to-play basketball uh, opportunities, uh, those, those coaches seem to be having more influence on the high school coaches. So uh, it was re- actually a group of Midwestern states that kind of formally met for the first time. And, and then over the years, it slowly but surely gathered steam. And now we're, we're really a, a pretty serious player in the decision-making that's going on nationally with basketball. We have uh, regular meetings and representation with the National Federation. Uh, same thing with the NCAA. Uh, you know, so uh, we, I think we, it's taken a while, and we've tried to expand. I think uh, in the early days, there were 10 or 11 states that were, that were a part of the association. Uh, last, the last time we had a formal meeting, a gathering, was in Seattle uh, last summer. And uh, there were 36 states represented there at that meeting. So you can see how we've grown. And one of our goals as a national association is to, we, we would like ultimately to have all 50 states represented. So we've created a, a startup kit for states like Georgia. If they don't have an association, how to make that happen. And we're trying to reach out and find a contact person for in each state. So my, my role up here in Maine anyway is to work primarily with the uh, New England states um, so Maine and New Hampshire right now are what I would consider to be two active members in that group. Um, but we're, we've made, reached out and made contact with Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Vermont. And so hopefully um, by you know, sometime into this basketball season, we'll have all 50 states with some type of representation. Uh, you know, what does that mean to the, to the Maine Basketball Coaches Association? Well, you know, it's easy for us to be tucked up here in our corner of the world and feel our frustrations about basketball and not, you know, not feeling as if uh, anyone else would really understand. Um, but when I go to these national meetings and have a chance to talk with my counterparts in other states around the country, uh, it's amazing that the, the, the discussions that are going on in those states are the same ones that are going on up here. Uh, coaches have concerns about the same kinds of things in Maine as they do in New Mexico. Um, and so what, what that, those meetings have become for us is uh, in Maine, anyway, we've come back from those with a lot of ideas, a lot of uh, ways to make our association better and to provide a better opportunity for kids in our state to be recognized. Um, so I would say that, you know, at the meetings, we have a tendency to, uh, you know, I'm good friends with the, uh, association leader from Alaska and I'm good friends with the associate association leader from New Mexico. Uh, so the states of similar sizes have a tendency to kind of group together. Um, you know, you take a state like Michigan, they have 5,000 members in their coaches association here in Maine. Yeah. Here in Maine, if, if, if we have every coach in the state of Maine as a member, we, we still don't have 300. So that, you know, we're in different worlds, but at the same time, there is some overlap. Um, and so, you know, my, my role on the executive board of the national association is to try to bring some representation from the Northeast. Uh, cause I think we have representation on that board from all uh, different parts of the country. So it's really been a, it's really been a positive for us here in Maine. And I think that if Georgia, once they get their association going, they're going to see the real benefits of being a member of that. 
Yeah, I love that. My, my good friend of mine, Gene Durden, is uh, they really don't have like right now. They, it, it's so recently started right now. They're trying to gain membership uh, on right now. They're, they're looking for coaches to join. And um, it was just put together very quickly. And the main reason why is they feel like the basketball coaches need to have an input on decision making that goes within the state. Correct. Absolutely correct. I mean, for, for us here in Maine, I mean, we, we have a showcase event in the spring of every year, and uh, that most associations around the country do that. They have some type of all-star game involving their top players in their state, and our association sponsors that for, for us here in Maine, and it's generally considered to be the premier event in the state of Maine. Uh, outside of that, our, our next, our, probably our second biggest uh benefit of being a, a member of our association is your representation. We have representation on every single uh, committee of the main governing body for high school athletics. So for basketball, I mean, I served in that capacity for our association. So every time there is a meeting involving basketball uh, in the state of Maine, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm there in person and, and I can collect and solicit from coaches uh, throughout the state, what their opinions and feelings are about various things and take them to those meetings. And so people are, uh, at the very least, they're going to hear what we have to say. And fortunately for us here, the uh, leadership of our governing body in Maine is very receptive. They want to hear what coaches have to say and uh, not to say that we necessarily get everything that we want, but we definitely feel like we're being heard. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of the topics that I saw that was key for you guys on a national level was preserving the high school basketball brand in the wake of increasing competition. That is so true because out here, coach, in the Atlanta area, we're just outside of Atlanta. It's a major problem with kids being recruited uh, just from travel play. We just had a kid recently out here in Milledgeville. Uh, he played it at uh, GMC, Georgia Military College Prep. And he got recruited into a Atlanta school based off of his travel team. To me, there's to me that's unethical. But uh, but what's your what's your opinion on that? Well, you know, we we see that a little bit up here in Maine too. Uh, uh, our we only have one Division One uh, university in the state of Maine, the University of Maine, and their head coach uh, told us at a, one of our association meetings that. When he's re when he's recruiting athletes to come play on his team, his first stop is the travel team coach. That's who he goes to, yeah. uh, and and you know that really kind of opened our eyes up here in Maine a little bit. And so that's really the major impetus of the national association is to get the high school coaches' foot back in the door where it belongs. And we really think that the high school coaches are, in general, the people that have the best interest of this kid at heart. Uh, there are a lot of unscrupulous people out there that are, that are taking advantage of kids and families. And so, uh, you know, we're not trying to paint with a broad brush and say that everything associated with those kinds of teams is, is bad. But uh, there is a lot of underhanded things going on. You, you called it unethical. Everybody has a different term for it. But I think people would very much like to see high school coaches uh, back in the forefront of that whole process. And I think including uh, Division One coaches, be quite honest with you. Uh, we have representation on the NABC, uh, and so they have conference calls and Zoom meetings. They've been having a lot of them, and 
and uh, Division One coaches around the country say the same thing. They would very much like to uh, get back in contact with high school coaches. So, you know, one thing that's been done here with the National Federation and the NCAA is uh, we've created uh, what we call June recruiting events. So there are two weekends in the month of June that are in on the NCAA recruiting calendar. They're the only two, those two weekends can only be, uh, can only be run by high school coaches associations or their governing bodies. So in other words, uh, Nike can't have, Nike could have an event, but no, no division one coach can go to it. Uh, so the only ones that they, the, the division one coaches can go to are those high school sponsored events in June. And so that's, that's come through the national association working with the Federation and working with the NCAA. So I think they see the value of it and we certainly feel a lot better. We feel like we're, we're making progress and we're uh, at, at the beginning, I think we were hoping to just get our foot in the door. Well, I think we're, I think our whole body's in the door now. <clears throat> so when they need help with something, they come to us and ask, uh, can we help make some of these things happen? So that's been a positive experience for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's, it's, it is a tough. I have a I have a kid that plays on a, a travel team in Atlanta. Of course, this year she decided not to just because of everything going on, coach, right now. So I thought it was a smart move, and she with the school out of Tennessee. So um, I thought it was a smart move. Uh, how are you guys? Uh, just just one more part of that is what are you guys doing with clinics? I, I'm a big believer that coaches need to study the game more and try to build uh just just try to just try to do it the right way within their program i um and i always feel like coaches should grow and learn more i'm a big believer in that what are you doing to help your coaches in that realm well you know i tell you this that's a real problem for us um you know if you you had a solution to that i'd be willing to listen to it because it's a real (laughs) it's a real problem um we, we have in maine what i what i i refer to them as bunker coaches you know, that's the, just a term I made up, but where they hunker down and they're in their bunker, in their program, at their school, and that seems to be what they're worried about. Uh, and so when you reach out to those people, and some of them are some of our best coaches, and they're veteran guys and girls, and they, they do a great job. And I said, you know, would you be willing to come and share some of that information with, with some of the younger people and whatnot? Boys, it's hard to get them to come do that. Uh, we've really struggled in the last couple of years putting together a, any kind of a clinic. Uh, you know, live clinics used to be the highlight of my early career. I loved going to those uh, to see the other coaches, to be physically present with them, the camaraderie of that, and then have some real quality speakers to learn from. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm you know, you're always trying to pick up new information. I don't know if it's because there's so much available online these days. Uh, mm-hmm if that's got something to do with it or just the fact that people seem to be locked into their program and they're not necessarily worried about the good of the game or uh, necessarily helping the younger generation of coaches. So, I mean, it's a real dilemma for us. That's something that we've been working on, uh, trying to come up with ideas and uh, something that it's a topic of conversation at the national meetings uh, almost every year because uh, other, other states are feeling the same, feeling the same problem. I'm not sure, not sure where the next generation of leaders within the basketball world are going to come from, because uh, a lot of times people just don't seem to be 
they're interested in their program, and that's about as far as it goes. So I don't really have a good solution to that. If I did, uh, if you, if, or if you ever hear one, let me know because we need it up here in Maine. For sure. Absolutely. I love clinics. We actually, um, uh, I created a clinic along with a friend of mine out here in Georgia called the Legends Clinic, and we invite high school coaches from all around the country to come out. And we've had some great coaches, Peter. And I, you would think the gym would be filled. We provide them meals. It's basically eight hours of for about about seventy five bucks. It's it's a great deal. And the gym is not empty, but the gym's pretty good, uh, almost full of coaches. But it's, I mean, you got to put. I mean, it's hard to get coaches out here. So is it just the fact that information is easy to access, or people just don't like live clinics? You know, I, I don't. You know, I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, like I said, I mean, myself personally, I love the live clinics. I thought the live clinics were some of the things I I would look forward to going to those year after year after year. Uh, mainly just to see see my 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 colleagues, my coaching friends. You know, we'd be there together, and we'd sit there, and you'd have a quality speaker, and you're always going to walk out of there with some with something new. Uh, and, and we've had you know over the years, I mean. We've had some clinics here in Maine where, we, you know, we had a hundred, if we had a hundred coaches at a clinic that we would consider that a success. Uh, sure. the last couple of the last couple of years, well, we only have 300 total coaches in the whole state. So uh, if we, you know, the last couple of years we tried to run clinics I mean, we had some pretty good speakers. I think uh, one of the speakers at our last clinic that we held was Tom Brennan when he was at Vermont, uh, Vermont sure. had just upset, Syracuse in the NCAA tournament, uh, he was kind of all the rage. And shortly thereafter, our clinic ended up working for ESPN. So he was kind of a hot ticket at that time. And, and uh, we thought, sure, that he would draw a crowd and just didn't happen. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd get that, you know, that 25 to, to 50 type number of coaches. And eventually our clinic, we, we just have gone away from it. Where Basically what we've done is uh, we've replaced it with another uh, showcase event for recruiting purposes. Uh, you know, up here in Maine, I mean, we don't have a tremendous amount of Division One talent, so the June recruiting events are nothing really that we would ever be, you know, terribly involved in. But we have a tremendous amount of Division Two, II, Division Three, and NAIA talent. Uh, some of the best Division Two programs in the country are in the Northeast, and we have a, a tremendous number of kids that end up on those teams. So. We put together a showcase event, uh, particularly for that level of kid. We try to get our top 40 or top 50 boys and girls at a, at a venue and uh, invite in these co college coaches from throughout New England and give these kids a chance to be seen. Uh, we put that in place in replace of a coach's clinic because coaches didn't seem to want to have a clinic anymore. So uh, it's been a couple of years since we've had one, and there's been some rumblings about possibly bringing something back. So you know, it's something we may try again here another year once we get through this uh, COVID-19 situation. Uh, so we may bring it back, but uh, basically it died a slow death and we replaced it with something that uh, was more meaningful to the kids in the state. So uh, I don't know what the answer is. I know that some of my counterparts in other states, they're really worried about their clinics uh, this year because for some of them, that's a, a huge money revenue generator for their association. Uh, I think I think it's uh, pretty much a guarantee that they're all going to go virtual. And 
luckily they've got some platforms out there, people that are helping out in various parts of the, of the country that can be some really good virtual clinics. And uh, it's another benefit of being a part of the national organization. I mean, I just got an email invitation the other day to the uh, Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin's coaches clinics for this year. Uh, so what they're offering virtually to the people in Wisconsin, they're offering to anybody in Maine that wants to go as well. And when it's virtual, you can do that. And uh, the quality of the speakers are probably going to be better than what we could produce here in Maine. So uh, if that opportunity has been put forward to the Maine coaches, we'll see if any of them take advantage of it. So, Yeah, I love that. I, I, if that's a great transition into my next question is um, – uh, is virtual clinics and, and uh, give me your feedback on this, Peter, please. Uh, Cause you, you deal with a lot of coaches around the country. Um, I'm actually, what I'm doing is I, I interview for my podcast coaches from all over the place and I have coaches lined up for a virtual on-court clinic where we would do it live. I have a friend of mine that's a video coordinator. Um, we're going to do zoom live on court. Matter of fact, uh, my friend Jerry Finkbeiner, who's a former women's coach at Utah State, is going to do a live clinic for me on Zoom. And uh, to me, that's so cool, a live clinic where you can actually have feedback. And uh, I would love to have some support from the National Basketball Coaches Association on maybe trying to promote it and so forth. But that, that's on mine. What do you think about that? I, I think that's probably the future. Um, I think it was uh... – I think it was Tennessee that we were on a Zoom meeting, a national Zoom meeting, and I think it was the uh, association leader from Tennessee that had had their clinic virtually, and uh, he thought that the feedback that they got from the virtual clinic was so positive that he didn't know that they'd ever go back to in in person, that they would sure that they'd be stayed be virtual from now on. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that's coming out of this pandemic is a lot of a lot of stuff's gone virtual. And people have realized that how easy it is to use, you know, Zoom. I mean, this is the first time, you know, you're, you're mentioning for the first time that I've heard of doing an actual live on-court clinic via Zoom, which I think is kind of a cool idea. I like that idea uh, because a lot of times uh, the, you know, championship videos did a lot of, uh, you know, live uh, online uh, clinics earlier this spring. And I watched quite a few of those, but it's, it's a lot of X's and O's on a, on a whiteboard, but with a coach talking. And I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, watching, uh, you know, watching players you know, execute a, a play or execute an offense, uh, you know, see some, see some actual uh, examples of what, what's being talked about. So I like that idea. I think that's a pretty cool idea. Absolutely. And, hey, it's the way it is now. Hey, I teach my – I'm a PE teacher. I have a tough job. I'm a K-5 PE teacher coach. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, and we, what we do is I have half my kids online. The other half are in class. We, we, um, we do it live. I, I have it. My whole class is live on zoom. So, I mean, technology out there is great and you might as well utilize it if it's there. And that's, to me, that's the way to go. Coach, talk about Maine basketball. I don't know anything about uh, your state's basketball and so forth. Tell us, give us a little history. Tell us what kind of players and coaches you have out there. Well, you know, the, the, the state of Maine, the, uh, is rich in basketball history. I mean, it's, I, I think it's basketball is considered to be the number one sport in the state. Uh, and it, it goes back. I mean, people, you could stop almost anybody on the street and they're going to tell you something about a, a, a team that, 
that they remember from their childhood and whatnot. We have a lot of small towns. Uh, you know, the, the, the running joke is the last person out of town shut out the lights because when we have a tournament <laughs> game, everybody is at the game. We have a tournament venue up here, a brand-new building that was built uh, oh, three or four years ago, and that, that thing is filled almost the entire week of the tournament. Uh, people take that week off from work uh, so they can stay there. They, uh, I talked to a gentleman the other day. He was at every game of every session, so that was – 90 some odd games. Uh, so, you know, that that's the passion that people have for, and they can't wait for the tournament. And of course, you know, about tournament play. I mean, that's where legends are born. You know, I had a, I had a young man played for me this year. We, we won our regional championship this year. Uh, and I had a kid go back to back games. He had a three pointer in the semifinals to win a game. And he hit another three pointer at the buzzer in the finals to win it. The same kid, both nights. Uh, wow. So that's an you know his name is etched forever in the uh, sure. in the history of the state and because it happened in a tournament and uh, you know that kind of a thing that's that's the attitude we have a lot of pride here about basketball in Maine particularly the coaches I mean I like to brag whenever we're in our national meetings that uh, Jim Boylan who just got fired by the Chicago Bulls is a yeah. is a Maine yeah. guy he played for the University of Maine. Uh, Brett Brown, who coaches Philadelphia 76ers, has played for South Carolina yeah. High School uh, right here in Portland, Maine. Uh, Steve Clifford, who is a friend of mine down at the Orlando, uh, Orlando Magic, he, uh, he and I went to college together. Uh, so he's a good friend of mine. Um, and uh, Rick Carlisle with the Mavericks, uh, he's been there for a long time. So at one point before Boiling got fired, we had four of the 32 NBA coaches were from Maine. Uh, so, you know, we like to brag that up. You know, our coaches association sure. takes a little credit for that. Uh, and I've heard a few college coaches around the country say, you know, when they hear that I'm from Maine, that's what they say. You know, the cradle of uh, NBA coaches, you know, that kind of a thing for a small state. You know, that's a point of pride for us. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, other other venues around the state. If, if you had a if you had a kid that was growing up and they wanted to have a real life uh, old fashioned high school basketball experience, then, you know, right up here in uh, central and Northern Maine is the place to be. It's, it, it doesn't get much better than that. I think these small towns just really rally around the teams, which makes it so special. So, uh, you know, a kid from a small town can feel pretty, pretty special. And I think there's a tremendous confidence building there that goes on. So when they go off into their life as adults there, they feel pretty good about who they are and uh, that they can get things done. So, yeah, and it totally sounds like Indiana, Coach. I, I'm a big Hoosier fan. I uh, I go to the um, – I've, I've actually vid- uh, visited the actual Hoosier gym and where my friend actually does a clinic out there at the Hoosier gym. I go to it every year, man. Um, and it just sounds so similar to that. Yeah, I think I think there's, there's – you, know, you know, Maine certainly hasn't cornered the market on that. Uh, my counterpart in Indi- Indiana, Steve Whitty, we, we talk quite a bit. And of course, they have – some fairly good sized schools in Maine. I mean, the biggest school in Maine has about 1600 students in it, but the smallest one might have 50. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's that small. Um, and I know that there, we had a, we had a young man uh, from a small town in Northern Maine, right on the Canadian border uh, that he, he won a competition at our showcase event, a shooting competition and whatnot. And his coach was telling me that the next day at school, the uh, border patrol, uh, came with their cars and trucks and all that, and they escorted this kid to school. 
for winning a shooting event at our showcase event. You know, so it's little things like that. You know, yeah. we won our regional championship this past winter, and we the fire trucks and police cars were waiting for us when we got to the town line, and they escorted us into town and took us on a parade through town. People are coming out onto their front porches and cheering for us, things like that. I mean, it's just it's just something that, you know, is etched in your mind and the kids that are involved in it will never, ever forget it. So it's just kind of a special, special thing. Yeah, and I would imagine, Coach, and let's talk about your program, that you probably have second, third graders, fourth graders lined up to play for your high school, which is a big part of a small town. Um, talk about, first of all, congratulations on your 300th win. I'm sure you have um, a lot more than that now. Um, talk about your philosophy of your program out there. Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're team first oriented. That's, that's number one. That's part of our culture. That's a big word these days in the basketball landscape is culture, creating a culture. But uh, you know, for us, it's team first. So you know, we don't we don't cater to superstars. We we want everybody to have a, a shared interest in that. Uh, we make a, a real effort to make sure that the uh, the twelfth man on the team is no different than the first man on the team, and that's program wide. I mean, that's all the way down through our middle school and all the way into our youth league. Uh, you know, we give everybody a fair shot. Uh, we're from a working class town. Uh, it's a blue collar town, so you know, work ethic is really not something that we have to worry about generating, but we just, we, we really emphasize that, that that's us. Uh, people may be more skilled than you, but no, there's no excuse for anybody outworking. You. And so we try to instill that in, in all of our kids in our program, uh, you know, and we have the support, you know, we have the support within the school itself, and then we have the support within the community. So if you put those three things in place, uh, you know, and then as coaches, we, you know, we can worry about teaching the skills and teaching the, you know, the, the X's and O's of the game. But uh, those are broader things that really turn the program up a notch and bring it to a special place. So uh, that's kind of where we, that's how we do it. And uh, it's been pretty successful for us. Yeah. And what's cool about it is that culture is not just for the basketball program. It seems like that's, that's a, that's a community. This is Mike May, creator and owner of Practice Planner Live Software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and Championship Vision Podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time in creating efficient and effective practice plans. John Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential. Community philosophy. I mean, it seems like everybody pretty much has that, um, has that as a whole philosophy for probably all the sports in the whole community. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair statement. And if you, if you step away from it, I mean, uh, a lot of times from season to season, I mean, you're, you're, in large part, you're talking about the same kids. Uh, you know, yeah. our, football, our football team last year had a good year, as good a year as we've had at our school for a long time. And then basketball season rolled around, and a lot of those same kids out of the 12 I had on my roster, I think six or seven of them played played on that football team. So it does carry over. And then if we do well, 
uh, on the boys' side, then the girls want to do well. They, you know, they, they kind of come along for the ride, you know, and the community likes to see everybody doing well because, you know, the crowds love to cheer for a winner, you know, and so we get that extra <laughs> little push from them and whatnot. So it does have a – it does kind of breed among the school uh, that we have an expectation that we're, we're not just going to show up, that we're, we're going we're gonna to be pretty good you know, and we're going to put in the time and the effort we know what it takes. We know that it takes that, and uh, that's during the season, and that's in the off season. We do all of those things, and expect to have a pretty good year when the time comes. So, uh, so far, that's worked for us. Yes, and I, I want to kind of transition into your what's important in your program, your hallmarks: man-to-man defense, fundamentally sound, and then a basically a patient. Very sound offense. Um, start with man-to-man defense on that because um, I think a lot of people put that in their um, top priorities but really don't teach it that well. It sounds like you guys are really into good, solid man-to-man defense. Yeah, there's, uh, you're absolutely right in your, in your statement. I mean, I, there's coaches up here that we play against that they'll change, they'll change defenses three, four times in the first quarter alone. Uh, we, we kind of lock in on that. That's our, that's what we do. We have different variations of it. So depending on situation, so it's not just the same generic thing, but we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time talking about it and, uh, and teaching it. And like I say, that, that starts all the way in the, in our youth league coming all the way up through. We, we ask all of our coaches, uh, in the, in the system to coach man to man to play that way. Uh, you know, in the youth basketball, I mean, it, you could probably win a game somewhere by sitting in a two-three zone, but we don't want that. We want kids to learn how to play. The reason for that simply is that if you watch basketball at the highest level, and if you watch basketball at the highest level, even just here in our state of Maine, uh, the, the the very best teams are all playing hard-nosed man-to-man defense. And if a game is close at the end of you know if you're it, you know you're in a close championship game uh, at the end, you're going to have to make that stop, and you're going to have to do it with your man-to-man. So that's kind of the, the philosophy that we have. It's not that we would be, you know, that I have an aversion to zone or anything like that. And we, we have played a zone once in a while over the years, but very, very rarely. Uh, we, we, we are committed to and we believe in our man-to-man. This past season, I mean, we, we won all of our regular season games. And I had a number of coaches tell me they, that the difference between our team and the other teams that they saw us playing was that, we're just more committed on the defensive end and defense is all mostly about work. Uh, that's the thing, you know, uh, there's a lot of things in basketball that involve skills. Uh, you know, shooting is a skill. Uh, you may be good at it. You may not be good at it, but defense and rebounding are the two, two things that are predominantly about effort and work. And so anybody can do those things. Uh, so as long as you're willing to do that and you have the right attitude about it, then you can be a pretty good defensive player. And over the years, we've had we've been a pretty good defensive team. You know, the, 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 what goes hand in hand with that is our our patient, deliberate offense. So that's not that we're not a fast break team because we always look for look for opportunities like anybody for easy baskets. But uh, we're a frustrating team to play against if we have the lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, a lot of teams, you know, coaches up here would tell you that they know they're in trouble. They're down by six with with four to play. The odds of coming back against us are not is not very good because we're a very patient, deliberate, disciplined team. 
and that takes a whole year to, to instill that in kids. But by the time we get to the tournament, we're pretty good at that. So that's a, those have been our hallmarks. And I think up around here, people would people would tell you that about our our program. Yeah, and what's what's I love about it, Coach, is uh, I'm not saying that's old school, but that's old school basketball that I love. But nowadays, you just don't see that anymore. Unfortunately, out here in Georgia, we're putting in a shot clock, and a lot of coaches want it. The you know the talented schools with loaded talent, they all want the shot clock, and I'm going, why? I mean, I mean, oh, most of my players are not playing at the next level. Um, uh, I think I- why. Why, not, why can't we just grind it out for two minutes? Yeah, well, I mean, that you know, you're absolutely right in that, you know, a shot clock favors the stronger team, you know. So, that you know, that's a that's a weapon that you have at, that's within the rules to, you know, control the ball and maintain the, you know, maintain possession. Uh, it, but a lot of people don't like that. They just, they don't like that. They, they want to, you know, put a time limit on it. We don't have a shot clock in Maine and, but it gets brought up continually. It's constantly being right. talked about. Uh, other, you know, and I'm saying I, I don't think we need it. There have been a few studies done up here in Maine, and I can't remember what the most recent one said, but kids get up shots pretty quickly around here. So uh, we just, you know, we're probably one of the more uh, patient teams, more deliberate teams. I think my, you know, my predecessor, Coach Gursky, he was a big fan of Bobby Knight at Indiana. And so I think a lot of what was instilled here early on was – you know, motion offense, everybody's touching the ball, uh, you know, be, you know, good, solid, don't turn the ball over and play great defense, man to man, you know, and that's, that's kind of where that came from. And it's been here for over 50 years now. Uh, and I feel very comfortable with it. I like playing that way. So uh, it works well for us. Absolutely. Kind of go into a little bit about your offense. I'm really intrigued on uh, what you guys do. And um, I know I ran a kind of a flex uh, open post offense and so forth for many years. I, I've completely changed, Coach. I'm wide open now, so don't, don't hold that against me. But um, talk about, you know, your, your offense. Kind of describe it for us. Well, I mean, we, you know, if we have, we have – I have some set plays. I would call them sets, you know, that we, that we have. We usually have five or six of those. And then uh, – but our general offense is what I'd call a motion offense, and it's uh, – it's it's uh, three out and two in, uh, but we've been a, we've been probably five or six years since we've had what I'd call a true post player. Uh, it, it, when I have a kid come through the program that is that is uh, a real back to the basket type guy, uh, then we'll run a, we'll run some different things. But right now, what we do, all of the kids in the program right now feel more comfortable facing the basket than with their back to it. So we run situations where it's just constant movement. Everybody's moving and. Uh, if you allow the offense to run through uh, with, with a patient offense, it always does. All five guys are going to touch the ball somewhere in that process. And so what we're trying to do is not – we're not we're trying to teach kids to make plays, not to run a play, you know. So in other words, we, we're going to run this formation. It's going to be – this continuity. So if you, if you always know where you're going to be going, go somewhere, do something, be in constant motion. Because we know that most teams – aren't willing to play defense for, for if they play defense for 30 seconds, that's pushing it. Most of them are going to sure. have a breakdown. Somebody's going to get lazy and they just don't want to do that. And then we're going to create a situation and we try to point out as we go through the season, you know, that that's a great opportunity for you 
with your skill set to put that ball on the floor and go to the basket. So everybody's looking to, you know, dribble penetrate, you know, the, you know, penetration into the paint's always a bad thing for the defense. So we, we you know, we just try to spread the floor that way and uh, create gaps for people to, to get to the rim. So a few set plays and then our continuity is basically it. Uh, we, we throw a little flex in there every now and then too. We got a little bit of flex activity in our stuff. So, um, I don't, I don't know that it's really – I don't really think it matters all that much what you run. The bottom line really is is that kids kids need to be taught how to make plays, not run plays. You know, so so that's really what you want. Give them that creativity and that independence. Yes, and talk about – because I'll be honest with you, I don't see a lot of teams running three out, two in. I, uh, I used to run, you know – uh, pass screen away, you know, and the post would screen away and, you know, curl back to the ball and so forth. Those offenses are kind of outdated, but I still think today that that can work. But I guess, like you said, everything's based on dribble penetration and it's hard to develop post players these days. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we try whenever we, we think we have a kid coming that's going to grow into some size, we try and and we've, we've had some good ones here. I don't want to make it sound like we don't ever have any, but we just seem to be going through a run right now uh, where where everybody's more comfortable facing the basket. I, you know, to describe our offense, we very much as you, as you just described. We basically pass and screen away. We never screen on the ball and uh, pass and screen away and, uh, and, a lot of, and a lot of curl cuts and whatnot. So, uh, but it's just constant movement. That's really the main thing, and it's, it's – uh, you know, as little dribbling as possible, uh, mostly passing. And if you're going to put the ball on the floor, you need to be going to the basket. So that's about the only thing that we do. But the main thing about it that I like is uh, that every every kid touches the ball. And we don't pigeonhole a kid just because he's, you know, 6'3 or 4 that, you know, he has to play near the basket because some of those kids are really talented away from the basket. And some of my best post players I've had in the 30 years that I've been up here uh, have been guards, you know, so some of some of the very yeah. best have been guards. So we try to find situations where you say, hey, look, let's post him up because, you know, his counterpart that's trying to guard him is not going to be able to stop him down there. You know, he's just – he's too good. So you just, you just try to use kids the, to their best strengths and uh, giving them the best chance to be successful, that's all. So, um, yeah, you're right. It's, a, it's an old-school way of playing basketball, but I can tell you up here in our area, it's very effective, uh, you know, it's, it seems to me that uh, some of my coaching counterparts and whatnot, they've, you know, I've been here for a long time, so they, they would zero in on some of the things that we're doing, but uh, we still continue to have success with it. So I have no intentions of changing it until somebody stops it. So <laughs> Exactly. Um, what are some teams that give you problems, Coach? Um, and I, I know sometimes it's hard to reflect that much, but uh, what are some teams – what about the really talented teams that come in with, you know, front lines of six five, six five, six six, quick, athletic? How do you do? How do you, how do you compete against those teams? Well, you know, that's the you know this the team I had this year was was one of the better teams I've ever had here. So we probably could have held our own with just about anybody uh, in our state. Uh, we would have been able to give even our very top top teams in our state. Uh, you know, we'd have been able to give them a good game. Uh, in, in our league this year, you know, we were referred to as a big team. We were big, you know, by comparison. But in a lot of years, we're not. I mean, uh, my son played for me back in, in the early 2000s, and uh, we had the tallest player on that team was 6'2", 
Uh, we played in the state championship game that year, and they had a kid that was 6'10", another kid that was 6'6", and another kid that was 6'4". So that presents real problems, you know. I mean, size, you know, height matters in basketball. Uh, so, you know, sometimes what we have is uh, I had a freshman that, that played for me this year and actually started a little bit for me, but he might weigh 135 pounds soaking wet. And so when you get into a game against uh, a team that's got a little bit more size or physicality, they can kind of take a player like that out. Um, the, the key, as always, in basketball, I had a really good point guard this year. I had a really good point guard. He's, he's the third of three brothers in the family that came through and played for me. Uh, he was the, the best of the three, talent-wise. Uh, he's been starting for me since he was a sophomore. And this year, this past winter was his senior year. And he was a, a type of player that could affect the game uh, he doesn't have to score to affect the game. He can affect the game in a lot of different ways. So when you have a when you have a franchise player like that, uh, he's going to make everybody else on the court really, really look pretty good. And going against high caliber teams, uh, if you have that guy like that, he can he can keep you in it. So and he did that for us this year. Yeah, it's always nice, right, <laughs> to have the. I mean, the more your team can handle the ball, I think that's kind of a neglected thing, Peter. Right is ball handling and passing because to beat the teams that are more athletic than you, you better be able to handle the ball against pressure and, and deliver sharp passes, accurate passes and, and take care of the ball. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, that you know, we, one of our credos is don't beat yourself. You know, we're not going to beat ourselves. So, and that's one of the reasons why we're, we can be hard to beat, especially if we get ahead. Um, you know, we've been fortunate in that, you know, I, I have a, a player right now that's going to be a senior this year. He's about 6'2", but, you know, he's, he's a he's a point forward. You know, he's that kind of a kid. He can handle the ball pretty well. He can shoot it pretty well. So, you know, he can play down near the basket. He's a good free throw shooter. So, you, you know, you, he can play anywhere. Uh, and that's a real bonus, you know, and that's hard for teams to, to press you when, you know, you're putting five kids on the court and, and all five of them can handle the ball a little bit, you know. We got a few bigs on our team that, you know, that we don't need them bringing the ball down, but we, they can take a dribble or two to get out of trouble and get keep the ball moving. Uh, and, and we become almost impossible to press. And, you know, that a lot of times when teams are pressing you, it's either because they think you're deficient in ball handling or they're behind. And if you can get through your, through that pressure and get to some easy baskets, then you're going to, uh, you know, you pull away from people. So the team I had this year, I had, at any given time, I'd have five kids on the floor that all could handle the ball a little bit. We had a good point guy, and that's where we wanted the ball in his hands. But if teams started to uh, extend on us, uh, we had plenty of other guys that could handle it as well. So it wasn't all relying on one guy. That definitely helps when you have uh, a list of players that can do that. Yeah, for sure. Versatility, uh, all the kids can handle left, right hand. So true. And I know – you 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 probably develop great practice plans. I'm a big believer that there is a science to practice planning, and that is, and I, I don't think anybody's mastered it yet, Peter, but I'm always constantly trying to study the game. Tell us about how you put together a practice plan. Well, you know, I, I actually was at a clinic uh, here in central Maine, and uh, a college coach was there, and uh, yeah, Hubie Brown was there. He was one of the speakers. And they talked a lot about practice planning and, you know, Hubie Brown was coaching at the Knicks at the time. And he was talking about uh, 
his preparations and he was talking about preparations for Bill Cartwright and Bernard King, you know, but I'm saying, you know, that's exactly the same thing that I want to do for, you know, little Tommy that plays for me and little Billy that plays for me. You know what I mean? He's talking about pro names and I'm saying, yeah, but that's really no different. Uh, so they gave me some good ideas and I've used them ever since. I mean, my practices, I, I have a practice plan in writing um, and I have them all for my entire coaching career. I can show them to you right now. I have a file. I have a file. I have mm-hmm. file folders. I save them. And uh, the, the format is almost always the same. Uh, the first half hour or so of practices is a series of drills. I've come up with them over the years. I've picked up different ones here and there, but all skill development drills that, I, that are also warming kids up. Uh, so we do a lot of ball handling, a lot of two-ball dribbling, uh, you know, dribble moves, uh, some shooting, uh, things like that as a warm-up. And then we'll get into the middle part of the practice, which is really the meat of the practice. Who are we playing on Friday night and what do we need to do to make sure that we're going to be successful there? So uh, whatever game planning is going on is during the, the middle. And then the uh, the end of practice is almost always uh, some level of shooting. That's something that I, I don't think kids do as much on their own as they used to. I know myself as a kid growing up in a small town without – uh, you know, we had a black and white TV, so I don't want to make a sound, you know, too, too far back, <laughs> sure. but I'm just saying I didn't have a lot of other options. You know, there weren't a whole lot of other things to do. So I went out in my dooryard and picked up a basketball and I'd shoot around just to kill a half an hour before I tried to meet up with my friends, you know, things like that. So how many shots did I take over the course of a lifetime, you know, to, to, to get to be a shooter? And I'm saying, I'm, I'm not sure that kids do that now as much so i present a lot of opportunities and we do a lot of competitive shooting games so that with you know competitive shooting games with penalties and so the fact of the matter is it's not just shooting around it's it's game shooting and everybody's in a froth of sweat and i think it helps for fourth quarter fourth quarter shooting with tired legs uh you know we'll do a hard we'll do a hard shooting drill for a couple minutes and then they'll shoot a couple free throws and we'll go back to the hard shooting drill and back and forth like that. And that's how we'll finish up the practice. So I don't, I used to do in the old days, a lot of, uh, you know, we used to, we call them tiger drills because we're the Dexter Tigers, uh, a lot of sprints and those kinds of things. I don't do virtually none of that anymore. It's almost all basketball related uh, training type things, but almost all of my practices look, the format looks the same. Um, and so that's worked for me. So I'm going to keep on doing it. Absolutely, Coach. And um, tell us about your scrimmage ratio. Because uh, I always ask coaches this. Like, I had one coach that says, you know what, Coach? I, I, I don't scrimmage hardly at all. And he told me that. And he was a great coach. And then I, I have some other coaches say, well, you know what? We play five on five all the time. How, what's, what's, your, what's your ratio there of scrimmage to drills? Well, I, mean, I, I wouldn't say uh... – you know, I wouldn't say scrimmage as in like five on five. We do go five on five. Um, like, for instance, if it, we're going up against a team that we think is going to probably play us a one three one zone, uh, that's that's their staple. So we, we, we need to we need to take a look at that. We need to make sure people are where they need to be and how we're going to attack this thing. So we'll go five on five in a half court situation. Uh, and then other times we'll be doing uh, uh, we might be doing a, a transition drill and working on our transition or trying to, uh, you know, transition defense, whatever it is we're working on. So that becomes a five-on-five full-court type drill. Um, but I would say that it's, uh, 
as far as just flat out scrimmaging without a purpose, you know, I would say zero. We don't do any of that. Uh, it's almost always within the framework of getting ready for an opponent uh, or working on a particular aspect of our game that we need to see it in a five-on-five situation. So it's very, very structured. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a drill like a dribbling drill or a shooting drill. It's, it's a, it's a competitive game situation, but it's very structured. Yes, yes, and uh, and it's very intentional, I'm sure, on what you're trying to do. Hey, tell me what, give me your feedback on this. And this is just, I'm a believer, and this is what that we like to do. Um, I like to kind of work on, let's say I'm working on a part of my offense, like we we run a ball screen. Let's say I'm doing a two-on-two ball screen, you know, screen and roll from the wing. Um, and then we'll work on a defensive side where we're working on, you know, maybe, you know, forcing wide and so forth. And then I love to throw them into a scrimmage because I'm a, I'm a believer that you don't save scrimmaging. I think you have to drill and teach and then scrimmage so you can see what you're teaching is is working. So what right. do you think about that? Well, no, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, and I, and I would say that, you know, that like there are a lot of drills that, that we do are, we do a lot of two-on-two, three-on-three drills, and they're specifically for an aspect. Like, for instance, if we're working on how to guard, how we're going to guard the post against a particular opponent. So we're going to want to set up a situation that's going to make our kids play defense the way we want. But then at some point within the framework of that drill, it goes live. Uh, the whole thing goes live. And now we're just playing three-on-three, and kids are going to do whatever they do. And so that, that gives us a chance to – step back and see so when, when you know for the sake of the drill yes they're doing what we want but when you when you turn it live is are they still going to do what you want or is now now suddenly it's going to start to break down uh, so it's always a combination of uh, you know setting up the drill for a specific purpose uh, for whatever it is that you intend to, to try to teach and then at some point you got to turn them loose and let them play a little bit and then see if it's uh, see if what you taught's really sticking so yeah, absolutely love that. And coach, I really appreciate you sharing with me. Uh, so far, it's an hour, and I, I only I only have a couple more minutes for you here because I know you're a busy guy. Talk about um, talk about this is a major issue with me because I think sometimes I talk too much as a coach, and I'm trying to cut back. Uh, I try to give my my kids quick, uh, just quick tidbits on things they're doing correctly. Uh, and also incorrectly, but I don't want to. I don't want to say too many things. But I do talk a lot to my team and coach them up. Um, how much should a coach coach on the sideline, or should we just be quiet? Well, no, I think that. Uh, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with the individual. I mean, I think you've got to be who you are. Uh, so there, are, you know, I, one of the one one of the things, and people make fun of me up around this area. I've been been around for a long time, but I'm a, I'm a I'm a quiet guy. I kind of sit. I, I sit a lot on the bench. Uh, I got coaching friends of mine that are doing somersaults and cartwheels when they're coaching, you know, and that's just <laughs> that's not right. me. That's not <laughs> me. And I'm a firm believer that you do, mo- you do 99% of your coaching in practice. So I'm all in on practice and, and my intensity is, is pretty severe during practice. Uh, my predecessor, coach Gersky used to say, you try to make practice harder than the games. Uh, so when you come to play in the games, the games actually feel like it's just fun and easy because practice was, was so, so brutal, you know. Uh, so we kind of adhere to that philosophy a little bit. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, 
you know, we're providing kids with feedback and whatnot. But I do think that kids, when they get out there and play, they got to they got to be decision makers out there. They got to know what you're thinking and and what you want. And then, but they ultimately they're going to have to make some decisions on their own. Uh, so you can't micromanage the game from the sideline. I do see that sometimes. Uh, and I think being critical of kids uh, in a public way is it works against coaches sometimes. We have some some coaches in our area that take a lot of grief because uh, they're viewed as being negative, you know, very negative. But I, th- I, I think they just happen to be a little louder than other people. And I say my, a lot of my negativity for the locker room, you know, if, if, if I need to say something to a kid and correct their, their poor play or their bad attitude or whatnot, I'm not going to do it in a public way to embarrass them or anything like that. I don't think that flies very well these days. Uh, back in the old days, you'd had a lot of coaches that, you know, they you know, take off their jacket and throw it in the stands, and there was a lot of stomping around, and getting a technical was almost considered to be a strategic play, you know, and uh, I think those days are gone. I think those gay, days are gone. I think you're, uh, you're more into having a relationship with your kids and knowing who they are and trusting them, and uh, I, I figure if I've done a good job in practice, and I'm going to trust them to make the make make decisions on their own out there, and they're going to feel comfortable doing that. And I'm going to be playing on pins and needles because they're worried that I'm going to get mad if they try to dribble that way or pass that way. And so you do what you think you need to do, you know, and then we'll get to the next practice and we'll revise that if we have to, that kind of a thing. So I don't think there's uh, a set answer to what's the right way on the sideline. Um, I think you've got to take a look at how the game's evolved and what the expectations of coaches are and particularly how does it fit into your community? Because I know that in my community, I'm, I'm probably going to be able to be a little bit more harsh with kids than maybe uh, in a different town. Because like I say, these, these kids are brought up in blue collar, hard nosed families. I mean, uh, they, they expect that they want that, you know, they're more afraid that if you stop talking to them, that that means you've given up on them, you know? So they, they, along with their parents want you to be, to push them. They want to be pushed. So I think you just got to find your comfort zone. You know, with my three mentors that I had, all three completely different personalities on the sideline, you know, and all highly successful. So I think you got to just find what's comfortable for you. Yeah, that's so true. You got to be yourself. Um, but do you find that, um, and I've, I've really actually studied this, was uh, distractions. I think I, I honestly feel like I don't want to be a distraction to my team. Even I, I feel like also I'm a better coach sitting down. A lot of times when I get up, I don't see the floor as well. I'm a distraction in front of my players. I really feel like that's a major issue today because every coach is standing up for the entire game. To me, there's, I don't know. I think we really got to look at that as a profession. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that, uh, you know, poor, poorly, uh, a poor example of the NBA and the NCAA where the camera is on those people on the sideline as much as it is on the players in the court. Uh, so, you know, I think that just by human nature, I mean, high school coaches will see that and say, well, that's, that's what coaching is apparently that, you know, that's what, if whatever Calipari is doing, that's what I should be doing. You know, and I'm right. saying, not necessarily, I mean, high school and college are two completely different things. There's a whole entertainment element to, college that's really not a part of high school basketball and I think that you know if you consider yourself a teacher and you're teaching these people and you're helping these people grow as as young men and women you know I think that's really the more important thing so 
Uh, and I, and I agree. I think if you're, if you're running up down the sideline and, and you're overly emotional about what's going on, you're not really seeing the game. And I think the real job of a coach is to, is to see two or three plays ahead. Where's this all heading? You know, if we score here, are we going to have a big enough lead to maybe think about holding the ball a little bit, or maybe this next possession, we're going to try to press or, you know, so you're always thinking ahead, trying to, run those scenarios through your head you know you're not going to be able to do that if you're spending all your time clapping because somebody made a shot <laughs> you know that kind of a thing right. that's, that's it let, let the kids do that let the kids you know one thing I, I tell my team is that I, I'm not going to mandate enthusiasm so in other words I don't have a team rule that says when you know player A comes out of the game I need everybody to stand up and give them a high five or anything like that I said I'm not mandating enthusiasm but i expect you to be enthusiastic why wouldn't you be you know i want you to be passionate i want you to be aggressive so when your teammate you know when your teammate comes out of the game i i don't want you to stand up and react to him because i told you to i want you to do it because he's your friend you know he's your teammate you know and do it out of out of you know true passion and pride for what's going on and so we've 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 done a pretty good job of that we've got some uh you know, I always pay a lot of attention on the film. When we watch film, I always pay a lot of attention. I say, watch the bench on this play. Watch the bench on this play. Watch the reaction of the bench. So some kid on the court makes a great play and the bench erupts and they, you know, have a real strong reaction. I said, that's, those are, those four guys there that are doing that have no shot at getting in this game, you know, but look at how much enthusiasm they have. And you can see the same thing in an NCAA, NCAA game. You know, you watch the benches and you see how, there's guys over there that will never see the floor, but they are standing and waving towels and doing whatever they do in college games, you know, and just showing great enthusiasm. And I think that all comes from the, that comes down from the coach. Uh, so true. I coach, I, I love that insight right there. Cause I do feel like when I go and scout a team, I study their bench and I really study how their coaches are communicating with their players. I know that sounds kind of crazy. I don't. I, I watch on court, but I I watch the intangible stuff. I don't know why I, I believe in that, but it's so true. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I can't I can't go to a basketball game now with you know just a, you know two random teams that I have no vested interest in how it comes out. But I'm always watching the coaches, and it doesn't make any difference if it's soccer or a football game or. A, baseball game I'm always watching the coaches and how they interact uh just out of curiosity just to see how you know you know whether I would agree with that or disagree with that or whether I said that's a good idea that's not a good idea so I you know I think that's all part of your your profession that's part of your craft and how you can get better you're constantly evaluating I know after games I mean I, I tend to beat myself up after games especially if we lose you know how could I have done that differently you know how could I coach that up a little bit better than that uh, you know, and I ask kids to kind of do the same thing, reflect a little bit about it, and you got to let it go and move on to the next one, you know, that kind of a thing. But you take some of that ownership into you, on yourself. And so one thing that you can do as a coach, pretty easy thing to do, is study other coaches. And particularly if you have people in your area and you're saying, I know he is generally known as a very good coach. I want to see that guy. I want to see what he's doing. I want to see if this what anything he's doing that, looks like it might fit into my personality as well. So, Yeah, that's great coaching. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, uh, that, that insight right there, Peter. Uh, hey, before you go, uh, first of all, I want um, us to stay in contact because I want you to help our state out 
trying to form our association out here and give us some great feedback. Um, what do you recommend uh, for a coach who's just coming into the game right now? What do you rec- how do you recommend them to get started in the right way? Because you have dealt with so many coaches around the country. Well, you know, one thing that, uh, that we did here in Maine that actually came out of our, one of our national meetings, a couple of, I talked with a couple of coaches, I think it was uh, from Texas and uh, might have been the state of Washington, and asked them if they did anything like what you're talking about, if they, if they did anything for young coaches. And both of them said that they have essentially what you would call a, a, a new coach's manual. And I said, well, that's a pretty good idea. Could you uh, send that to them? And so the, I took the two that they, they sent me and looked at looked through them. And then uh, here in Maine, I've, I've, I kind of took some of their ideas. I created some of my own. Uh, just all the different uh, pitfalls that a new coach might run into. And, and just kind of put some scenarios out there of things they should be considering, uh, ways to deal with certain situations. Uh, and that's basically what it is. It's basically a, a how-to manual to be a new basketball coach. And then we uh, you know, disseminated it among our coaches and we put it on our website. Uh, and, you know, it's just kind of there for the public, anybody that wants to have it. Um, so that's one thing that we've done. And what we, what we try to do uh, that I think is a little bit more effective is, you know, in a small state like ours, I mean, our state is geography, uh, geographically, it's quite large, but uh, our leagues are, it's like a small family, you know, and so we get to know each other very well. We have uh, 16 teams in my league where I play. So the 16 boys coaches and 16 girls coaches, we meet regularly. We see each other regularly. We, we, you know, and uh, so we kind of get to know each other really well. And then suddenly there's a new coach in the league. So most uh, of the veteran people will reach out to them and just kind of, uh, we, we've uh, actually set up a, what we call a mentoring program, essentially, you know, if, a, if an AD wanted to contact us and say, hey, look, you put me in touch with a veteran coach here in Maine that would help my new guy, and uh, we do that. We, we make that connection for them. And just, a, you know, a phone call or a text message or whatever, if you want to talk about something or if something comes up and you don't feel comfortable talking to your own people, uh, that we have another coach somewhere in the state that's got some experience and they're going to be able to help you with that. So between the, the, the new coaches manual and the mentoring program, I think those are the two best ways that we have for helping new coaches. Oh, I think that's a great idea. I think there's some, so many great coaches and I, I feel honored by speaking with you. Um, and, and, and I'm learning from you and you're mentoring me and so forth. I think, I don't think we do enough of that. Um, before you go, what about a coach's Academy? I, I would love to see a state put together a coach's Academy, a basketball coaches academy where there's actually a training session for a certain period of time and also why don't we have a national high school basketball coaches academy where we're training coaches I, to me that's that's doable yeah i think it is doable and i think it uh, that would be kind of like the end game i think if we can uh, if we can get to that level i mean that's what that's why the the nhsbca has been a slow a slow process and where you know, we're only, I think, 12 or 13 years old, and uh, we've made tremendous progress, but we're still an infant in the basketball world. You know, we've only been around for a short period of time, so uh, we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, circle the wagons, and uh, our, one of our major goals this year is to make contact with all 50 states, 
And if we can get to that level of where we have all 50 states represented, then I think uh, things can really take off. Uh, you know, one thing that we're hopeful, hoping for down the line is that, you know, if we become uh, a, a worthy association on the national level, that we can attract some sponsorships and, uh, you know, obviously money talks and it, with some sponsorships, some of these things of, of what you're talking about uh, could be a reality sooner rather than later. Um, but I think that I think that's definitely would be a good idea. I don't know of any. Uh, that any states that have that right now, but it definitely would be something to, to uh, try to put in place if it could be done. Absolutely. And I really want to partner with uh, the National uh, uh, Basketball Coaches Association. I really want, I really want to get um, partner with you guys and share on my podcast and whatever I can do to help, I'm in, Peter, because I think you guys are doing some great things. How can we get a hold of you? Um, well, a, a hold of who, me or – Yes, yes. How, what's the best way to get a hold of of you and also your organization, um, either the Maine or the National uh, Basketball Coaches Association? Well, anything to do with the with the Maine uh, Maine Association of Basketball Coaches would be through me. I mean, my email my email address, you know, pmurray at aos ninety four org, um, and that would be that would be the easiest way. Uh, uh, the NHSBCA has a website, um, and there is contact information on there for all of the members of the executive board. Um, so, uh, every you know, our, our current president is Tom Barrick uh, from Ohio, um, and we have an executive board, and then we have what we call the full board, which is representation from all states across the country. So, uh, but the, the, that would be the place to start. The contact information is all right there. You can easily email or contact uh, somebody there. Absolutely. Coach, I really appreciate you taking this time. I know it was a long time, but you really shared some great information, some great insight. I know I learned a lot. Um, so thanks again for becoming part of the uh, Championship Vision podcast family. Not a problem, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, thank you very much for having me on. Okay, Coach, thank you so much. Take care. All right, you too. Bye. Thank you. Hi, this is Kirk Gilsdorf, Clackamas Community College Women's Basketball, formerly Oregon City High School Girls Basketball. And as a veteran coach, I'm always looking for new ideas, new things to listen to, somewhere I can improve my coaching. And I've discovered the Championship Vision podcast from Kevin Furtado, and it has become my number one go-to podcast each and every week. Kevin brings in guests that provide a unique perspective, whether it's on X's and O's, philosophy, drill work, whatever it might be. Uh, he's going to get something out there that's going to help me as a coach get better. And I think that's what we should all be doing as coaches is helping each other get better. Uh, Kevin himself is, is always hungry to learn. You can sense that in his podcast. And so, again, I can't recommend it highly enough. Championship Vision Podcast, Kevin Furtado, keep up the great work. Hey, coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. 
But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Coaches, I really appreciate you uh, joining me on this uh, Championship Vision podcast with Coach Peter Murray. Uh, he offered some great advice, some great insight into what we can do as coaches and really what we can do as our individual states, how we can help our coaches out more. So I'm a big believer that we need to do more to help develop our coaches, uh, particularly in teaching the game. Uh, so, Coach Peter Murray, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. Coaches, thank you for listening. I know there's a lot of great podcasts out there. Thank you for taking the time to uh, listen to my podcast. Hey, I want to make this great offer. Uh, if you want a free trial of the new Practice Planner Live software program, you got to get this. If you want to make sure your practices are well-organized and efficient, you need to go to practiceplannerlive.com. Use the code CHAMPVISION1 to get a free trial offer, 21-day free trial offer. Check it out, man. It's unbelievable. Uh, I use it. I I use it for my PE classes. I use it for my basketball teams. Keeps me very well organized, everything in one shop. So it's one shop stop. So um, thank you again for joining me, and I wish you guys the best. Stay tuned for my next podcast. Take care. Share the game.